Regrets. We all have them. I regret leaving my driveway with my coffee on top of my car this morning on the way into church. Anyone else? Just me. Okay. Funny or serious, what if the regrets that hold us back could be transformed into creating a different future for us? My name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a delight to be together as we continue through our kickoff series. We've been looking at what if. We've been asking the question, what if? And our ability as humans to ask that question is really, really unique. We're the only species on planet Earth that has the capacity to wonder and imagine about the future and to create a world that doesn't currently exist. No other species is, is trying to imagine and create futures that do not exist right now. That's, that's just us. That's humans. We've been given this gift of imagination to ask, what if this could happen? What if that could happen? I mean, think about it. There's no whales out there thinking like, I wonder what would happen if we built a rocket to the moon. Let's try. <laughs> no other species asks these questions. The question, what if, has changed the world. What if everyone had access to clean drinking water? What if there was affordable housing? What if, what if, what if has changed the world? Because it opens up our imagination to a different kind of future. But this capacity to imagine futures that don't exist also comes with it the potential to make poor choices. Choices that hurt us. What if I cut that corner? What if I cheat? What if I lie? What if I went there? What if I did that? <clears throat> what if nobody ever knows? And every one of us lives in the in-between of the what-ifs of the future and the what-ifs that hold us back. But this longing to ask what if for the future that's a feature of our humanity. God's given us this longing, this questioning, this what if, what could be. And so looking at the question, what if, to start off our fall is a great practice for us all. Because of this what-if capacity that we have, I have an agenda for our time together this morning. And I don't mind just putting it out there in front of all of us. First thing, what if every single one of us walked out more free and more human than we entered? What if? What if today could be the day that things start to change. What if today is the day where whatever that past what if is, its grip on your life starts to be loosened? I believe by the presence and the power and the love of God that that is not a hypothetical question. 
that this can actually happen for each and every one of us as we choose to respond to the God who loves us and to release whatever we may be holding on to. I believe this can happen. What if? Last week, Pastor James introduced the the story that we're looking at over these several weeks. It's the story of David and Bathsheba. If you were here, you you may remember it, but if not, or maybe your memory's foggy, here's the overview. King David leading the nation of God's people. He stays home when all of his soldiers go to war. While he's lounging at home, he's hanging out on his rooftop, he looks and he sees the beautiful Bathsheba. And David sent for her, saying, go and get her for me. And David abused his power. He abused his authority, his leadership. He slept with her, no mention of consent. And eventually David finds out Bathsheba is pregnant. And so he tries to cover it up. So he invites Bathsheba's husband home from war, Uriah, who, by the way, was one of his mighty men, one of his closest partners on the planet. He says, hey, Uriah, why don't you come have a weekend with Bathsheba? He's trying to cover it up. Uriah comes back from war, but David had a rule that soldiers don't sleep with their spouse during wartime, so Uriah never slept with Bathsheba. David's like, oh, man. Okay, Hey, Uriah, why don't you come to the castle for a party? And David gets him drunk, thinking if he can get him drunk, maybe Uriah will then compromise some of his core convictions. But Uriah has integrity, and he doesn't. And again, Uriah does the right thing as David tries to increasingly cover up the choices that he has made. David's like, oh, man. So he sends Uriah back, thinking, okay, that's not going to work. So then David sends a note to the leader of the army and says, hey, when Uriah is at the front of the battle line fighting, I want everyone, I want you to pull every other soldier back so that Uriah is the only sucker left up front. And David kills his best friend. Covering decision after decision after decision. It's an absolute tailspin of integrity Decision after decision, covering up the mess. It's the kind of story that TMZ would report on, right? Breaking news, King David breaks five of the Ten Commandments in one fell swoop. Developments ahead. Except nobody reports it. Because he's the king. And he can cover it up. And he does cover it up. David probably thought he got away with it. How long did he keep going and living this lie? Was it days? Was it weeks? Was it months? Was it years? We don't know. What we do know is these decisions, these, these decisions happened, and David just kept living his life with nobody catching him. And I can't help but wonder how many of us here today are in that place. Decisions have been made. Maybe they've been covered and we're just living our lives. Wondering if we'll get caught. Wondering if anyone knows. Statistically speaking, the vast majority of the people in the room right now 
are absolutely burdened and buckled by regrets. The vast majority of us. And this burden of regrets does an absolute number on our bodies. Regrets cause us to hide. Hiding fosters shame. Shame leads to all kinds of things in our lives. None of them good. Relational disconnectedness. Physical damage, emotional damage, relational damage, spiritual damage. These regrets are suffocating the soul of who we are. Many of us here today have a regret, a choice, an action, or maybe several that's been gnawing away at us from the inside out. You know what it is. In moments of stillness or silence, it tries to rear its head, shove it aside. Some of us, maybe that regret was gnawing away for so long that you don't even feel it anymore because there's just a callus there now. But these regrets want to speak to us and say, you're a fraud, you're a liar, you're nothing. Look at you, you're stuck back there. There's no hope, there's no future for you. And I consider it the honor of my life this morning to say to every single one of you, that the regrets that have played a significant part in your past and in your present do not have to dictate your future. Your future can be different. Your past does not have to define it. How does this happen? How does this play out in our lives? Well, let's continue the story with David. We read in 2 Samuel 12, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And when Nathan shows up, the prophet shows up to David, Nathan tells him this parable. And the parable goes something like this. David, there's a rich man. He's got a lot of sheep and a lot of cattle. He's got a lot of things. And there was a poor man who had nothing except for one little lamb. This poor man raised the lamb. He cared for the lamb. He loved the lamb. It's, it says that um, he, they shared food and drink. They drank from the same cup. Because he was so poor, he couldn't even afford his own cup. Even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refused to go to his bountiful uh, barn and get one of his own flock. So he goes to the poor man and he steals the one little lamb that the poor man had. When David heard this, he burned with anger against the man and said, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a vile thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you. And your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? 
It's a strong confrontation. And when we read this story, David's response, doesn't it seem just even like a little bit ironic? Like, David, how can you be so naive? How can you have such a visceral response? How can you have such indignation towards this man and complete ignorance towards yourself? How do you not put these two together? Well, have you ever noticed it's easier to judge other people than yourself? It's easier for David to see this man's errors than for him to tell the truth about himself. David's conscience was so seared. He could recognize it in someone else, but not himself. And that's because when we tolerate lies in our lives, we start to live a lie. When we tolerate lies, we start to live a lie. And when we live a lie, we become a lie. And we are unrecognizable to ourselves. David heard from a man of God, the word of God, and it totally just missed him. And I think that should challenge us too, that though we may hear the word of God and may be surrounded by the people of God, that we may miss what he is wanting to say to us and we may miss totally our own behaviors as well. Which is why Nathan looks at him and it says, you are the man. And as we read through this, in a sense, these words also jump to each and every one of us. You are the man with whatever accompanying parable is needed. You are the woman with whatever story is relevant. I love the details that the scriptures give us. We read, uh, when, with David and Bathsheba, we read, David sent a messenger to get Bathsheba for himself. And as a result of that, all kinds of damage, destruction, and evil happened. But then we read in 2 Samuel 12, we read, the Lord sent Nathan to David. And it's this great reversal, this great undoing, where David sent Bathsheba to get himself. Now we read, the Lord sends Nathan to get David back to himself. This confrontation is a confrontation of love where God is saying, I need you to come back because I love you. And it is the utter kindness and grace of God that confronts us. The utter mercy of God to come to us in the same way it was the Lord's kindness to not let David live a lie for another day. It's the kindness of God when he confronts us too to not let us live a lie for another day. The Lord loves you so much, wants you to be free. Have you ever considered the parable that God gave Nathan to deliver to David? about the little lamb 
I wonder what that must have done, that particular imagery must have done for David. I wonder where that may have stirred his heart. And I wonder if it brought him back to his years as a youngster. Because long before David was king, what was his job? Anybody remember? He was a shepherd. Long before David was king, he was a shepherd. He wasn't born into royalty. David, as a young man, was overlooked, underappreciated, mocked, ridiculed. But he was earnest in how he took care of sheep. He dedicated his life to protecting sheep from the jaws of the monsters. And when he hears about this little lamb getting stolen by the jaws of another monster, I wonder what that did for him. And if that reminded him of his early years long before the power and entitlement eroded his conscience. If it reminded him of his humble beginnings, the earnest commitment to the Lord, the sincerity of faith, the little boy swinging a sling before the giant. I wonder if it brought him back to those moments when he was the poor guy holding a lamb. And now as he hears this parable, he realizes, I'm no longer that guy. I have become a Goliath. I am the monster now. And I wonder if the Lord would want to say to us in our moment of confrontation with whatever the what ifs may be for our lives, if the Lord would want to say to you as well, I know who you are. And I remember you before that happened. I remember, as you, I remember you as a little boy running around I remember you as a little girl ripping around the field, carefree, careless. I know your story. I know where you've come from. I know what you've done, but I love you. I see you. I care for you. And things can be different. You've been living a lie and it's time to stop. I love you too much to let you do this for one more day. It's time to respond. I wonder if the Lord wants to say, I remember your passion. I remember your heart. I remember the sincerity of your faith. I remember the commitments that you made reading your Bible late at night. I remember who you were. I remember you before the relationship blew up. I remember you before the addiction set in. I remember you before that choice was made, before you went there, before you looked there. I remember you before the compromise, and I love you just as much now as I did before that. Nothing will ever change it. It's time to stop living a lie, because I love you. Too many of us are dying and withering away from the inside out because of the what ifs anchoring us in the past. God doesn't want you to live in your regrets, your secrets, or your failures. He wants you to be free. Free. Would you let that happen today? 
Would you let that be your story today? How do we do this? Carry on in the story. After Nathan says, you are the man, he goes on for several sentences talking about all that God had done for him, but also the consequences of the choices he had made. And then this is what we read. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. That's it. I have sinned against the Lord. And when it comes to releasing the regrets of sin, there's, there's at least two things that we can notice from that. The first is this. When David confesses, there's no justification. There's no excuse. There's no blaming. There's no embellishment. David just admits his sin. I did this. Very few people have the courage to own their part in totality and to take responsibility. It's really easy to blame. Blame other people, blame other circumstances, blame situations, but David just acknowledged, I did this. The second thing we notice here is that it's in a safe community for him. David does this in front of a person he trusts, in Nathan. Now, first, it is God's business alone to forgive. That's it. God offers and extends forgiveness. Full stop. It's only what he does. But we see here that there is profound power when we confess our sins to the people, the right people around us. James chapter 5, it says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. One pastor said it this way, if you want spiritual freedom, you confess to God. If you want relational freedom, you confess to the people in your life. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Is there someone you need to process something with? David's confession is short but powerful. But I think the response from Nathan, it's so shocking. It's almost scandalous. The second half of that verse that I just read says this. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. David's confession is met in a moment with total forgiveness. That's the comprehensive forgiveness that God offers. It takes away our sin. David confesses. David is forgiven. Last week, Pastor James said in his sermon to, uh, for us, he said, what Jesus did for Peter, Jesus wants to do for you. And so today I want to say what God did for David here, God wants to do for you. Take away your sins, forgive you. That's what God wants to do. Don't wait for a Nathan-esque confrontation. God wants to set you free now. 1 John 1, 19 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgiveness is always immediate, but sometimes the purification is a process. And even though we read David was forgiven in a moment, that didn't mean there were no consequences. 
And the consequences of confession can be hard. I don't want anyone to feel like this is a, a misleading here. In preparation for this weekend, I was walking around this room before any of you were sitting in here and praying through this moment. And I was utterly struck by the holiness of God. The holy, pure, loving, passion, goodness of who God is. Absolutely holy. And when our lives are laid bare before him, what darkness is brought into the light? God is only ever good. His purity is always at its zenith. His love always at its zenith. He loves us so much. He knows us so thoroughly. And he knows that any compromises that we have made will always lead to death. And it's precisely because of his holiness and his love that he refuses to to let us live an unconfronted life. He wants us to be free. He knows these choices choke out the life from us and he wants us to be made new. So while there may be consequences, David saw that, many of us know that. I promise you the freedom on the other side is worth the journey. Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. A harvest of righteousness and peace. Anybody living in that reality? You know, when you get really honest with yourself, you're like, man, I don't even know what I'm going to do with all this garden of peace. Look at this harvest. I'm going to have to get some silos, store all this righteousness. We're all living with what ifs. And I want to say or ask every one of us here, what if we stepped into confession? What if we released that which has been holding us back for so long? What if you could leave here more free than you entered? More human than you entered? What if that could happen? I believe that every single one of us in the room, online, maybe listening to this at another time, I believe every single one of us finds ourselves in this story. Everyone. And so as we move to a time of response, I just want to pray and ask that, the God, that God would reveal to us what it is he would like to do. So will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, come. You know us, you see us. You know the what ifs of our lives. You know who we are, what we are, what we've done, how we live, every dimension of our lives. And you could not possibly love us more. 
And I ask that you come and speak to us. Spirit, show us. Jesus. And show us what Jesus is saying to us. I ask in his name. Amen. I believe some of us here are David. Some right now are David and you're hiding. Maybe you made some choices that were really wrong. Maybe you cut some corners, cheated, lied, stole, unfaithful in some area. You know how long it's been. Maybe it's recent. Maybe it's a long time. But there's been a compiling of poor choices. I believe the God of the universe who loves you more than you could ever imagine is saying, it's time to stop living a lie. It's time. It's time. I love you. Every one of us will have a moment of confrontation at some point. Maybe it'll be from a child or a loved one, a friend. Maybe it'll be a boss or the police, or maybe it'll be Jesus himself. But to those who are like, I'm David, I just ask, can we not wait for the Nathan to be sent to you? Can we have the courage to respond this morning? Step and step. Regardless of what comes next, knowing that it's an invitation of love so that you may be free, could we respond? Some here in the room are Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the victim of a brutally broken and abusive king's evil behavior. Some of you know what that's like be the victim of someone's terrible behavior. The Lord of the universe loves you and he sees you and he cares about you. We're told later on in the story of Bathsheba that she would eventually give birth to the king of the nation. We're told that she would give birth to the wisest man who had ever lived. And if you keep reading, we're, we see that she is the great, 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 and a whole lot more great grandma of Jesus. God saw her, and God sees you, and he loves you, and he's with you. He cares about you. And someone here just needs to know the one who created all this did it for you because he loves you. And as long as you are living, there is hope for you. If you're still breathing, God's not done. Loves you. Maybe you could ask God, will you just show me where you are today? I need you. Some of us here this morning, maybe you're the Nathan in the story. 
Either you know you gotta go and have a hard conversation with someone you love, or maybe you're in a spot where you're actually doing pretty good. Had a conversation with a friend last week after the service, and he's like, Kyle, regrets have played a huge part of my story, but before you and before the Lord today, they're not weighing me back, and the, they're, not, they're not anchoring me in my past anymore. And I said, well then, brother, you know just precisely how hard this journey is. He's like, yeah, you got that right. Some of us are doing pretty good. And if that's you, that means you have something to offer everyone else in the room. Because you've made this journey and you've come out the other side. You have stared the valley of the shadow of death in its face, and you have followed the shepherd through it to the other side, and you just have the ability to turn to the people around you and say, it's worth it. Take the step. It's so hard. It might cost so much, but it's worth it. Come on. Take the step. Release it. Be free. It's worth it. God's got you. Everyone else can fail you, but God has got you. And the only way I know how to identify the Nathans among us, the Nathans in this world, are those who are most heartbroken over sin because they're not the ones that are going, what are you doing? Because they know how hard it is to take the next step. They're the Nathans that's saying, David, you are the living a lie. Be free. For every single one of us here, I believe with all my heart that the God of the universe sees you and he's inviting you to join him in the light. Like the boy David with the little lamb, God sees you. And he loves you. And it's precisely because of how desperately in love with you he is that he's inviting you to respond. Maybe that's why that thing just keeps popping up in mind. And, and you're like, no, no, that's, no, that's a long time ago. No, I don't need to talk about it. But God's like, no, 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 no. That's holding you back. He, and I've got a glorious hope and a future and a plan for you. Take the step. Confess. Release it. Which is why several weeks ago, as we were designing this moment, this service, we intentionally structured it to create a space right now where every single one of us can respond. Built into the service, there's flexibility and space for us to respond. We have people prepared to be here for a very, very long time. If there's five people or 10 people or hundreds of people. I look around this room and I see a lot of Nathans that could, um, you know, I'm like, hey, you're up now. We need you to help with praying. But we have a prayer team. We've got staff. We've got elders. We've got a lot of godly people that would love to help you respond. And so if you're in a space where you're like, I need to talk to someone I don't know before I talk to someone I do know about something, we got a prayer team for you. But also a lot of us came with someone. 
And maybe you need to talk to the person you came with. I need to talk to you about something. Here's my Nathan moment. You got to confess something. And it might be really, really hard. But it's an invitation of love from the Lord of the universe. I also want to say this. If in the next few moments, the next few days, the next few weeks, someone comes to you and says, I need to talk to you about something. Here's my Nathan moment. It might be really hard what you hear. It might be really scary. It might be really, 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 really painful what you hear. The time will come to figure out what the next steps will be, but in that moment, I ask you to see them the way God does, like David with a little lamb. See someone just desperate to step into God's light. Desperate for freedom. So if you're on the prayer team, I'm gonna ask that you just come to the front. If you need to talk to someone in the room, you have all the freedom to get up, walk to them. If you need to talk to someone that you came with, maybe you could just say, hey, can, can we just go to the front? Nothing special up here, but it is, a, it is a physical response to what God might be doing in our lives. These people are very safe and good people, and you can talk to them. Maybe you just need to talk with the person you came with. If you don't have someone that you came with, Maybe you could just raise your hand and there's a lot of good people. Good people of the room. If you see someone's hand raised, it means they don't want to come up here, but will you go to them? Will you pray for them? Let's do the church thing together, church. Let's care for each other. After a while, whether there's still people praying or not, I'll come up and we're going to have a, a, a big group response. But like I said, we have people prepared to be here for a long time. We can respond as long as necessary. What if, church? What if we took a step to release whatever's been holding us back so we can experience the freedom of the Lord? Bethany's gonna keep playing for us, but let's, we got some time. Let's respond. If the Lord has stirred something in your heart, don't live a lie for another moment. You can come to the front or talk to the people that you came with. What if?
These folks are going to stay up here until the service is done, until no one else needs to come forward. Um, one of the things I've observed when it comes to this conversation on forgiveness is that one of the more challenging parts is learning to forgive ourselves. But no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you have confessed and processed it, processed it in the right kind of way, I want you to hear this. If the one with the scars in his arms says you are forgiven, you do not have more authority to forgive than he does. And if he's not withholding forgiveness, then don't withhold it from yourself. Jesus is faithful and just. And if we confess, he will forgive. Psalm 51 is a psalm that David wrote in the throes of this moment with Nathan and Bathsheba and his life. And, and after this encounter, David wrote these words. And I would love for us to just read them together as we go through this process ourselves. Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen. May it be so in our lives. The last thing we want to do is communion together. Right before Jesus' death on the cross, while being crucified, some of his very, very last words were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. A lot of us have done things that we didn't even know what we were doing. And I want you to hear this loud and clear, not from me, but from God's word and from God's promise. If you have confessed your sin, God is faithful and just, and you are forgiven. You are forgiven. And that declaration is why we celebrate communion regularly here. We are celebrating that the, the you are that man doesn't have the last word on our lives. We don't live there anymore. We no longer are that man. We have been made new. The final word 
is behold, Jesus is doing a new thing and he's making us all new through and through. As far as the east is from the west, God has taken our sin from us. The night Jesus was betrayed before praying for forgiveness, he took some bread. Our version of that is hiding in the little lid on this. He took some bread and he said, this bread is my body and it's broken for you. So we may be made whole. And he gave thanks. And when we do this, we remember him. We remember what he's done. We remember the promise of forgiveness that he has given to each and every one of us and that he is making all things new. So let's take together to the king who's making us new. After supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me for as often as you do this, you proclaim my death. And so church, I want us to proclaim the death of Jesus knowing that resurrection comes, knowing that we are forgiven by his blood to the King. What if the one who is broken can make us all whole? We're going to sing one song together. If you need to come forward, feel free to do so. But Andrew and the team are going to continue to lead us in worship as we worship the God who pursues each and every one of us.